Good morning, everyone. In your Bibles this morning, if you brought a Bible, we're in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, the words are up on the screen, so don't have to panic about that. It's been said by those before that the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. And in this sense, 1 Peter is the same way. It says in the opening uh, verses there in chapter 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, uh, who are the chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, and goes on to say a few other things. So this particular book is written to those believers in Asia. But even though it was written to several churches in Asia 2,000 years ago, it's also written to us. And as you read through First uh, Peter, you see that Peter also focuses on some individual groups. Like he focuses on women. And he focuses on wives. And he focuses on husbands. And he focuses on young men. But he also focuses on elders. And it's that to which I want to talk to you today about. But I don't want you to be discouraged. And I don't want you to be distracted because, well, I'm not an elder. In fact, it gets worse than that. Peter is probably talking about the office of an elder. So, in fact, I'd go in farther than that. He's probably talking about the office of a paid elder, or for our uh, purposes, a pastor. In fact, I was joking with Pastor Tom earlier and saying, I think my message is just for you today. Um, but the rest of us can listen in. I'm just kidding, of course, Pastor Tom. But my point is this. This particular section of Scripture is very, very specific. It's talking to pastors, to be frank. And as I was preparing my message, I thought I need to make it broader so there's greater application for the entire congregation. But as I started to think about that and actually started to do it, I thought, you know what? I'm weakening the word that God has. I'm weakening it by making it too broad. So I just believe that the Lord has something good for you out of this word today, even though you may not be an elder, you may not be a pastor. Peter says these three things in these four verses. He says, I exhort you. This is a phrase, a common New Testament phrase, that's just one step below, I order you. It's just a nicer way of saying, you really need to be listening to what I'm saying. A little bit stronger, I'd say it's halfway in between, I strongly encourage you and I ordered you to do this. He says to these whom he's writing, he says, I exhort you, number one, to shepherd the flock. Number two, I exhort you to exercise oversight. And then the last thing he says is, I exhort you to prepare for glory. So it's just those three things I want to touch on just briefly and then we'll pray, and then we'll go out and do the things that God's asking us to do. So let's read this passage, end of 1 Peter, and then we'll pray. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it says this, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder 
and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. And not for sort of gain, but with eagerness. And not yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive that unfading crown of glory. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I first of all want to say thank you for preserving your word these thousands of years. Lord, I'm thinking back to the things that you spoke to Moses close to 4,000 years ago, and yet you've preserved it for us to this day. Lord, we say thank you for that. Lord, we say thank you for your word that you have for each one of us, your timeless and timely word. Lord, I'm praying, praying that it would come in a prophetic way in this sense, that it would be for this moment of time and it would be for this people, that it would be a now word that you would have. And so, Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you to come and meet this need. And I want to pray too, Lord, for that one person or two people that might be here this morning that needs something special from you. They've come and they're just desperate. They're just desperate. Lord, I'm praying by your grace and your power, Lord, that they would receive that which they've come looking for today. Lord, let that be the case, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing Peter says to these elders or pastors, if you will, is simply shepherd the flock. I've been asked from time to time, Greg, do you have any regrets? And usually, without hesitation, I say yes, because I have many, many regrets. None debilitating, thank the Lord, but many, many regrets. Usually when I'm asked that question, it's usually by someone young in ministry that's coming up in ministry and they want to they know how to not make the same mistakes I made. I made mistakes with our children. I wish I would have had more time to spend with our children. I was, Sandy and I were pioneering a new church at the time during our, our kids' formative years and I really miss not having that time with them, that, that abundance of time with them. I think about the the education that I decided to, to take and how I went about that. And I thought, you know, if I had that to do all over again, I would do that different as well. But I've also thought in ministry that there was a time when I felt like, like the church was there to fulfill my call. The things God has put on my heart, my vision. I felt like I was the CEO of the corporation and the Bible was our rule book to build this, this ministry and that the flock, God's flock, were just employees to help bring that vision that he had given me. In fact, if I was being completely truthful, I'd have to say there were many times when I was just a little annoyed with the flock, that they weren't being as responsive to my vision as I wanted them to be. And then one day I ran across this verse in the book of Ezekiel. Some of you may be familiar with it, Ezekiel 34, where it says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds. 
who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back, nor have you sought the lost. And then these words, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They are scattered for lack of a shepherd. Now, guys, I don't mind telling you, when I first read that, or I'm sure it wasn't the first time, but the first time it really came as an arrow into my heart, it was transformational. In that moment, I had this revelation. I thought it was all about pastoring. It's like our teachers over at Christian Life College. I remind them from time to time. They're all gifted teachers. And if you're a gifted teacher, you have the the, the gift of teaching, I should better say. If you have the gift of teaching, you pretty much think it's all about teaching. And I have to remind them from time to time that it's not about the teaching. It's about the learning. We can be the best teachers in our mind that we can be, but if they're not learning, we're missing it. It's got to be about the learning. And so when I read this verse, I had this revelation that it's all about the sheep. It's not about your vision, Greg. It's not about these big exploits you want to do for the Lord. It's not about this big ministry you want to build. It's not about any of that. It's all about the sheep. And when I read these words again this week, shepherd the flock of God, I was once again reminded that the flock of God is not the shepherd's. It is God's. It is God's flock, and he has called the shepherd to take care of it. In fact, as you think about this term shepherd, there's actually a number of analogies that come, as you could guess, out of this one word, shepherd. But I want to touch on just a couple this morning. When Peter is saying, shepherd the flock... I believe he's saying a couple of pointed things, really probably many things, but again, just a couple I don't want to touch on. He's first of all saying, guide the flock. When I first wrote this down in my notes and printed them out, I had lead the flock. But I crossed it out and then hand wrote in, guide the flock. Because in our culture, this idea of leadership has just been just been um, hijacked. Leadership is, is, we think of it as commanding and the person in charge and bossy and all of these sort of things. But the shepherd was not that way. The shepherd was guiding the sheep, guiding them to a particular place, guiding them to greener pastures, life-giving waters. And so in my mind, the difference between leading and guiding is huge. Let me give you an example. A couple years ago, a few years ago, me and a number of other people from City Church, I think we had nearly 30 people from City Church that had this rare opportunity of going to Israel. If you've never been to Israel and you think you might like that, you would absolutely love it. You would absolutely love it. Uh, 
So us and me and like 30 other people went, went to Israel. Our tour guide or the person leading our tour, uh, not from inside our church, but this was the stateside coordinator that lived in North Carolina. Uh, he was an athlete. And so for some of us, he just wore us out. I mean, he, we, we would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. We would have breakfast. We'd be on the bus by 7 o'clock. And oftentimes we wouldn't get back to 7 o'clock and then we'd eat dinner. And then after that, he wouldn't want to take us out again. He said, well, tonight we're in Jerusalem. You know, we could go down to, down to the Wailing Wall. And, you know, and who wants to miss the Wailing Wall, right? So it's like we're going 12 hours a day. And this guy is in shape, and he's, he's out front. I mean, he is a leader's leader. But on this trip as well, we were also gifted with the opportunity to have someone who was legally blind. This was such a gift to each one of us in this way. Whenever they, we got off the bus, this person needed to be guided. I don't know how many of you have ever guided a blind person before. Can I just see your hand if you've ever guided a blind person? Okay, quite a, actually quite a few of us. And so you know how it's done. You just put out your elbow and they just hold on to your elbow. And when you step up, they can feel that in your elbow. And when you step down, they can feel that in your elbow. And so they know when to step up and step down. Of course, when you go right and left, they can feel that in your elbow. And so one of us would always just give her, give her our elbow and, you know, guide her around to where we were, where we were going. Such a, such a gift in so many ways. So one day, our athlete um, tour director decides we're going to visit cave number one of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay, so if you know anything about the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, they were found in the mid-last century, around 1947 or 48 or something like that, by a Bedouin child throwing stones into a cave. And this was like the archaeological find of the century, if not archaeological find of all time, because the New Testament documents that we had up to that time only went back a thousand years. So there's still a thousand years between the last document we had and the, the time it was written. But with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found documents that went all the way back to the second century. So we eclipsed another thousand years with these scrolls that were found. So this was huge, huge for for uh, archaeology. So now we're going up to cave number one. Guys, let me tell you, cave number one is not on the tourist guidebook. I mean, it's just out in the middle of the wilderness, and southern Israel is like the surface of Mars. I mean, there's no vegetation. It's hot and dry, and there's these like football-sized boulders that are laying everywhere. And so we pull our two tour buses over on the side of the road and our guide comes on and he says, you know what, we're going to go up to cave number one of the, of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, where's, where's, where's cave number one? You know, we're parked on the road. And he looks down and he goes, see, right up, that, right up that mountain, right up there? That's where it is, right up there. Across the hundred yards of a field with these, these small rocks in it, and then up a 45-degree incline that near the top changed to 50 or 55-degree incline. And so he gave us a little bit of a lecture as he was preparing us for this hike. He's like, okay, now if you have any medical reasons for staying behind or if you're, you know, just not feeling up to us, please just stay behind and, and that sort of thing. He gave this big, long talk. 
And I thought for sure there would be many that would stay behind. There was only a few. But this blind person, who I'm going to call Mary, Mary decided that she wanted to go. I mean, there were probably, there were probably, I'm sure there were sighted people who decided, no, this is, this is not, this is not going to be good. But Mary decided she wanted to go. And so she grabbed onto someone's elbow and we started off across that hundred yards, across that barren terrain. And of course, the group got farther and farther and farther away from Mary and her guide. And when we hit that pitch of that hill, we all started up the hill. The problem with the hill was, is it's just loose stones all going up the hill. I mean, boulder type stones. And so the group that's going up at first, when they're going up it, their stones falling, falling backward and they're having to yell back, okay, look out there, here comes a rock, here comes a rock. And people are jumping out of the way of these rocks. And I'm just thinking, this has not been OSHA approved. I mean, this is, this is trouble. I mean, someone's going to get hurt. And we get up to where cave number one of the Dead Sea Scrolls were, and I see still out in the field, Mary and her guide. They're coming. Not everybody is up there yet. And so we start going in the, in the cave and looking at the cave, that stuff coming out. There's only room for one person to pass in and out at a time. And in, out, in, out, in, out. And then finally, by the time we're done, here comes Mary and her guide. Mary, do you want to see the cave? Yes! That's why I came up here. So in the cave, saw the cave, came back out, and then back down. And then I think there was... Uh, museum or something there that we went to. We had to walk to that museum, which was probably another two, three hundred yards away. Without exaggeration, the bulk of the group probably waited 30 to 40 minutes for Mary and her guide to arrive. Where's Mary? Oh, oh, she's probably still coming, then eventually seeing her walking across the terrain. Our leader, as I said, was an athlete. He was a leader's leader. But in the sense that I'm describing it this morning, he was not a guide. The person with Mary guiding her with his elbow, that was the guide. And that so spoke to me in this way, that as shepherds, we have to be more than just leaders. We have to be more than just those that are out in front, those that are leading the way. Come on, go, we're going this way. And maybe there's someone way at the end of the pack. Maybe they, maybe they fall off at the back, but that doesn't matter because we're going this way. That's the leader. But what Peter is calling these two is to be a guide, not just a leader. Be a shepherd. Be a shepherd which guides the sheep. But it dawned on me in this way. That if we're going to be the guides that God wants us to be, it's going to take a little bit more time than just leading. It's going to take a little bit more time because it's going to be a little bit slower. It's going it's to take a little more effort to be a guide than it is just to be a leader. But this is precisely what Peter is calling the shepherds to. He's calling them to be a guide, not just a leader. So that's the first thing, simply guiding. 
Now, again, there are many analogies, but let me just give you one more. This is in the area of shepherding. Shepherd the flock of God. The first thing, of course, is guiding. The second thing is tending. Tending. Which simply means just caring for. Just caring for the sheep. It's more than, it's more than again, more than leading. It's more than being the, the CEO of the company. It's more than uh, just making sure things happen and that sort of thing. It is indeed caring for the sheep. Now, I've never been a shepherd in the real sense. I mean, in the way of really having, you know, like real sheep. But I have um, worked with dairy cattle before. I'm not saying they're the same thing. I'm just trying to make an analogy here. And so when Sandy and I got married, most of you know Sandy and I were married very young, three months out of high school, 18 years old, uh, both of us. And of course, because we got married so young, we had all sorts of problems that people, if they just wait till a normal time, like 35 or something like that, they wouldn't have all these problems. But we had these problems and stuff. Uh, And so when I, we got married, I was pumping gas. I was three months out of high school. I was pumping gas at this little small gas station uh, in a small town of 10,000 people. That was my job. I can't imagine that Sandy's mom and dad were too excited to get this new son-in-law. Um, so to help me out, Sandy's mom got me a new job on a road construction crew in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a union job. I got paid good, good money. I did that for an entire summer. And then in the fall, you get laid off. And I went to work for a friend of mine who does uh, dairy cattle. In fact, they had about 60 herd of dairy cattle. So I started helping him as a, as a hired hand over the wintertime. And my job was, during milking, my job was mostly to feed the dairy cattle. And so they would come in, you know, and they would take their place. Amazing. You know, animals got, got personalities just like, just like uh, you know, people. And they would, you know, some are fidgety, some are really confident, some are, you know, all these guys are coming in and going in the stanchion. And you just walk down the line and you just close the stanchion. I mean, they do this every day of their life. You just walk down and they, they got to be in the right place because if one gets out of place, then the one that's supposed to be in that place doesn't know where to go. So they're running, around the, they're running around the barn trying to find a place to go. So everyone's got to go in this place. So bam, 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 bam. I come to find out that dairy cattle are very well taken care of because milk is cash and cows are king. What farmers want to do is get the most milk out of every cow. And on occasion, when a cow misbehaved, I'd be tempted to give it a good swift kick or to, to hit it on, the, on the, uh, the top of his rib cage, rib cage or something like that. But when I did, I'd always get a scowl from the, from the farmer, my friend, and he would say, you know, don't do that. If you upset the cows, they will not let go of their milk. You'll just get a very small amount of milk out of them. So you can't upset them. You've got to take care of them. And so that's what we would do. We would take care of them. I mean, we'd treat them like babies, you know. We would talk nice to them. We'd have music playing in there that made them feel good, you know. And, and sometimes if you've got a nervous cow and you hook the, hook the um, 
uh, milker up to it, it wouldn't drop its milk. So you just kind of massage it, you know, just kind of just kind of rub it and talk nice to it. And pretty soon here comes the milk, you know, and flowing out of flowing out of the cow. You know what I learned during that time? I learned that it was all about the cows. It was all about the cows. It wasn't about the farmer. It wasn't about the shepherd, so to speak, to change the analogy. It was about the sheep. It was all about the cows. Paul says it this way in Thessalonians. But we, we prove to be gentle. He says it in First Thessalonians 2, 7 through 11. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing Mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become so very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you, believers." Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. As the shepherd tends the sheep, as the farmer tends the cows. So Paul tended his flock there in Thessalonica. He says, I cared for you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her baby. Can you get this picture in your arms? A nursing mother tenderly caring for her baby. And then down towards the end, uh, and as a father exhorting their children. So you have both these analogies as a mother and father tenderly caring for their children. And then right in the middle, Paul says this. We were not only willing to share the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. Guys, this is tending the sheep. This is tending the sheep. It's more than, it's more than a um, eight to five job or a 40 hour a week, to week job. It is tending the sheep. And so when Peter says to the, to the um, overseers, when he says, shepherd the flock of God, he's talking about guiding them in such a way of being close and near. And he's also talking about tending them in such a way of caring for them. So shepherding and pastoring, if you will, is so much more beyond just that. So much more beyond just a a job. It is not a career. It is a ministry. It is something that God calls someone to that goes beyond the simple, again, nine to five. So these are just a couple of analogies that that I think we can draw from being a shepherd. Peter then goes on to um, talk to them about being an overseer. So he's talking to them about being a shepherd as you read on there in verse 2. He begins to talk to them about being an overseer. And so these two often go together, both caring for and overseeing. Uh, in the New Testament, they, they often go together, and here it is again. We want you to shepherd, but we also want you to give oversight. And he explains how the oversight is, be, is to be done by giving three different contrasts. Don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. Okay? Here they are. Number one. First, 
exercise oversight, not under compulsion or constraint, but voluntarily. In essence, let this be more than just a job. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. The word speaks of a willingness. In fact, I think in the New International Version is translated willingness. Not under compulsion, but with willingness. So let it be done willingly. Let it be with desire and motivation. Let it not just be empty, plodding along. Let it be, in this sense, let it be a get-to and not a have-to. And then Peter adds, this is God's will. So first, not under compulsion, but voluntarily. Secondly, not for sordid gain, but for eagerness. Not just getting for doing. Not a transactional relationship where I do this and I get this back. Guys, if I was going to be absolutely frank, I don't like referring to what I do here at the church as a job. I never say I'm going to work unless I'm talking to someone that I just don't want to take the time to explain the whole thing to them. I always say I'm going to the office. And I never refer to my ministry as a job because I don't see it as a job and I don't think the Bible describes it as a job. In fact, I don't see myself as an employee. Now our business pastor and our senior pastor might disagree, but... I don't see myself as an employee. I'm just thankful that I can follow the call of God in my life and this church takes care of my needs so that I can do that full time. I don't see it as, I don't see it as being an employee. And I think that's the way Peter is describing it here. Is that let it be more than a job. Let it be more. Don't, don't, don't just, uh, not for shameful or sort of gain, but with eagerness. In fact, you can, Recall a number of times in the New Testament, mostly in First uh, and Second Timothy, where and in Titus, I guess. Now I think about it, where uh, the writers are saying, that, telling the qualifications for an over, overseer, and they say, not um, not a lover of money, not a lover of money. And I always thought, you know what? That's not my problem at all. Uh, I'm not a lover of money, until I read these words, where Paul is saying this in. 1 Timothy 6, 4 through 12. He's talking about those that suppose godliness is actually a means of great gain. He goes on to say in verse 6, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of it either. We have food and covering and with these we should be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and money and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many a grief. Paul is saying here a number of things. But one thing that struck me was that we should be content if we have food and covering. That's pretty austere if you ask me. If you have food and covering, which I take as clothing and, and uh, shelter, then with these things we should be content. And in that section, he's talking about those that are lovers of money. So in my own mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe, maybe I do have a little bit with this because I'm not quite satisfied with food and covering. You know why... Peter here and Paul and other places make such a big point about this? 
Because ultimately, money and ministry will come to be foes. They will ultimately come to be foes because we can't serve God and mammon. One is going to win out. One is going to be the victor at some point along the way. So Paul's saying, be content. Be content with what you have. In fact, one person said long, long ago, this proverbial statement, the wealthiest of those among us are those that are the most content. So if we're content with what we have, basically we have everything we need, so we actually become the most wealthy amongst us. Peter's saying, don't let it be about the money, but let it be serving eagerly. And then there's this third one. Uh, not as overlords, but as examples. Not lording it, lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Not lording it over. Uh, Jesus speaks about this in Mark chapter 10, where he says this, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers and Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Jesus' desire is not that we lord it over one another, but that we're actually one another's servant. This is the way Peter responded here in this passage. He says, I am your fellow elder. I'm not your boss. I'm your fellow elder. In another place, Paul says, you know, I could order you to do this, but I prefer not to. There was one of our newer admin people here, administrative people that help out the pastors here and I was asking her to do something for me, and she said, she said, you know, Greg, you don't even have to ask me. You can just tell me. I said, you know what? I don't want that kind of relationship. I want that kind of relationship that we can, we can ask one another. I don't want to order you what to do. But instead of over, lording it over, be an example to the flock I think the greatest example of this is found in the book of 1 Thessalonians where Paul is referring to the Thessalonians. He says, he says, you guys have become imitators of us. This word imitators is the word, Greek word where we get our English word mimics. You became mimics of us and then you became an example to all those in Macedonia and Achaia. And this word example is the idea of a pattern or a, or a, um, a stencil that you put a stencil. It's like a cookie cutter, you know, that you can put down and it leaves a, it leaves a pattern. That you first of all became mimics of us, then you became an example. You became a pattern to those around you. In fact, Here's the, here's the greatest part about this passage. Paul says, Paul says, and because of this, the word of God, the word of God has gone out to all of Achaia and all of Macedonia, and for this reason we have need to say nothing. Guys, that is the power of an example. In this book, 1 Peter, Peter says this to the wives. They say, you know, if your husband is disobedient, that you should be kind and honoring. In fact, let me read it because I'm going to 
say something that some of the wives aren't going to be happy with. Uh, okay, don't go away. Oh, here it is. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Greg, does this really work? I can tell you our testimony. So as I said earlier, and I've said many times before, Sandy and I were married uh, at an early age. Of course, we had problems uh, along the way because of, because of uh, that. And there were times when, I mean, it just got like this. And both Sandy and I would say, in fact, we knew, we knew this because we would say it to one another, is I don't love you anymore. I don't love you anymore. We'd, we said it to each other. Both of us realized where we were at at that particular time. But we had already purposed to take the word divorce out of our vocabulary. We already purposed that we're going to take that out of our vocabulary. We're not going to talk about getting divorced. We're going to work this out even though we no longer loved each other. And so we're working through this. And guys, it's just like this. Now Sandy and I are probably the only ones that experience this. But, but can you imagine what this might be like? You know what I'm talking about? Don't look at me that way. I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but then the Lord spoke to Sandy. And he said, if you will respond kindly to your husband when he insults you, when he uh, domineers you, when he does these things, when he insists on his own way, when he does these things, if you will respond in kindness, you will ch- not only change him, but you will change your marriage as well. Isn't that right, babe? Lift up your hand so everybody can see you. There's a testimony right back there. May I say you're looking exceptionally beautiful today? And guys, our marriage, I changed. I changed. In fact, I found myself saying stuff like this to myself, not out loud. It's like, you can't be that nice. I need to be that nice. I need to stand up and be that. You can't be that nice. I mean, not to her, but to myself on the inside. It's like, I want to be the nice person. She can't be the nice person all the time. I'm going to be the nice person. Guys, it was all, it was all example. She didn't preach to me. She didn't tell me how I should be acting. It was all because of the way that she lived her life. Guys, I got half a dozen of these stories. How the power of example changes things. I think this is the call of God upon leaders' lives. That it's more than just, it's more than just being the leader, quote unquote. It is about being a shepherd. It is about being an overseer, but in a sense that we're not lording it over. We're being an example to the fuck because that is what really transforms. And then this last part, which I'll just touch on and then we're going to close, is that there is a reward. There is a reward. For all those that serve the Lord faithfully. In fact, the Bible says this, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. So this is, this is Peter's final encouragement to the, to the shepherds. Do your work unto the Lord. This might be hard. It might be hard tending. It might be hard shepherding. It might be hard guiding. 
These things might be hard, but there is a reward in the end, and that reward is for you. So guys, let's go ahead, stand together this morning. I'd like you just to close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord. I want to pray for you. The worship team is coming from somewhere. But if you just close your eyes and shut yourself with the Lord, I just want to pray for you before we dismiss this morning. Again, go ahead, just just close yourself off. It's just you and the Lord now. So, Lord, we want to say thank you for not leaving us alone. We want to say thank you for pursuing us and meeting us right where we're at. Lord, I want to say thank you for answering our prayers of earlier, that you would minister to each one, that you wouldn't leave anybody out, but all would receive from you. Lord, I want to say thank you for that. I'm praying in this moment that you would complete that, Lord. If only a seed has been planted, Lord, let it bring forth fruit. 30, 60, 100-fold, Lord. Let it come in the name of Jesus. And Lord, for each one of us, not just the paid elders or the pastors, but for each one of us, Lord, give us a fresh burden for your flock, for your sheep that love you, that are devoted to you, that are earnest in serving you. Lord, give us, give us a fresh love. Give us a fresh love for one another. Lord, help us to be the shepherds that you want us to be. For those that oversee other people, Lord, I'm praying that it wouldn't be in a domineering way, that it wouldn't have to be, but their their leadership would be done with joy. Lord, let it be the case. And so, Lord, for our pastors, we pray too. Lord, let this be a seminal word. Lord, that we can say, yeah, this is our, this is, this is our foundation. This is our, this is our starting place. We are not, we are not uh, business CEOs. We are shepherds of your flock. So, Lord, let that be the case. And Lord, we want to pray too for that person or those two people that might be here this morning that don't know you. They've never made that decision. They've never stepped over the line and said, Lord, I want, I want you. I want to take myself off the throne. I want to put you on the throne. I want to live for you. I want you to forgive my sins. And when I die, I want to live with you forever in heaven. But today, you're making that decision. I want to pray for you too. So Lord, for this one, it's real. It's real this morning. For some reason, this morning, it's been made real. Holy Spirit, come in this moment. Fill and dwell. Baptize. Lord, we're praying transformation from this moment forward because of what you would do by your spirit. Lord, let that be the case and let there be a down payment for all the glory to come, all the rewards to come 
Lord, the, the life everlasting, all those things to come. Lord, let there be a down payment even today. And we're going to give you thanks for it because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, this is how we're going to end. The worship team is going to sing a blessing over you this morning. All I want you to do is just receive. You don't have to sing. In fact, it would be better if you didn't sing. The chorus simply says, Amen and Amen, which just means I agree. So if you wanted to sing just the chorus, Amen and Amen, I think that would be appropriate. But just as you're standing before the Lord again, I just encourage you just to close your eyes and shut yourself in with the Lord and just receive from the Lord this blessing. Here it comes.